kei ngā waiwai kai kapua, kei ngā waiwai kai pakiaka o te mutu, rarau mai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei, e mihi atu nei kia koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui, Māori Current Affairs for all New Zealanders. E taroake nei. It's the busiest emergency department in Aotearoa. Now Middlemore Hospital is ground zero for the Delta outbreak. I am worried about loosening restrictions because I know that that's just going to skyrocket infections in vulnerable communities. We talk to an ED consultant about what lies ahead as the Delta cases rise. And we sit down with Minister for Māori Development, Willie Jackson. Will some Māori be left behind? We hope not. And we meet the Māori vegan activist behind the new documentary, Milked. We need to move away from this mindset that if there's a profit in something that it's right to do it or that it's okay to do it. And in reality, the true costs of dairy farming in Aotearoa are not being paid. Tahuti mai. Middlemore Hospital's emergency department is the busiest in Australasia on a normal day. But in recent weeks, it's been at surge capacity, treating the bulk of COVID cases in Tāmaki Makoto. More than 25,000 planned operations have had to be put on hold at the hospital in South Auckland as medical staff grapple with a sharp rise in case numbers. Emergency Department consultant Dr Enia Tomash shares with reporter Rawani Pereira his fears for the coming weeks as Delta cases target our most vulnerable and unvaccinated and how staff are prepping for the worst. Kaya Rawani Pereira, Tenei Pūrongo. The majority of cases in this Delta outbreak are being treated here at Auckland's Middlemore Hospital. Te Rarawa's Dr Enia Tomash is a consultant in the hospital's emergency department. It's the busiest in Australasia, which can see over 400 people in a day. We're trained to sort of plan for the worst. So we're always ready for the worst to occur in any given day. And it could be the worst of anything. Heart attacks, car crashes, respiratory issues, strokes, shootings, stabbings. Part of your ED training is to be prepared for the worst of those things, and then you go from there. And over the past 10 weeks, a stream of COVID cases have been added to the list. It has been quite testing because you add COVID on top of all the other things I've already mentioned. So that's an extra level of stress on staff and the, and the hospital and resources. But I think our emergency mindset helps us cope with it somewhat. Uh, you just add it to the rest of the things that we deal with every day. Make sure you've got some good processes personally and departmentally, and then you just go for it. Although Delta dominates the news headlines, it's businesses as usual. So business as usual has changed a lot. I will say that this is the first time in my career where a single entity has led to significant change within the department in the hospital. So previously we would have our winter surge of respiratory illnesses and uh, we'd be used to over 100% occupancy most of winter. We'd increase services or ward staffing or open up a new ward to deal with that. Whereas these things are now happening at any time because of COVID. 
So the daunting thing is that we may have our new business as usual might be a winter surge or even more forever, all the time. But you know, you never know until COVID hits proper. And it will. We've seen what's happened overseas. This tent is the latest addition to the hospital in preparation for the expected surge in COVID cases that will come through their door. Can you explain a little bit about that triage system for COVID patients? What the tent does is effectively move that outside the door into a better ventilated space where we can have our COVID pathway and processes occurring outside the waiting room. The waiting room is enclosed and small and there's a risk of transmission in that waiting room. So hopefully the tent minimises that in some way. Modelling data paints a grim picture for the county's Monaco region. Even if vaccination rates reach 90%, which is a long way off, South Auckland is expected to see between 1,000 and 1,400 cases a week. The large numbers in South Auckland is nothing that we weren't expecting. I think every Maori doctor uh, was expecting South Auckland to blow up in terms of COVID cases. I would anticipate that when COVID starts increasing in numbers in South Auckland, we will be seeing a lot more children with COVID in our emergency department. And that worries me a bit, a lot, actually. Every day I go to work, I see inequity for Māori and Pacifica across all specialties. And COVID's nothing new, right? Now, now I see it again every day I go to go to work. The people who should be vaccinated who are not, that includes the very vulnerable as well as the young and fit who are the more likely to spread it, both across all groups. Um, so that's a big worry for me. The experiences of emergency departments in Australia gives Enia and his team a glimpse into what the future will look like. It's struggling now, but far worse when we start to open up. Images like this of 12 ambulances parked up waiting because this Melbourne hospital's ED is too congested to take more patients shows just how overloaded their health system is. When we look across at Melbourne and our emergency doctors, some are saying they're just in survival mode at the moment. You know, is that something that you're fearing here? So it is a bit daunting to think that our colleagues in Australia are in survival mode because they go through the same the same training system as us. But all we can do is prepare as best we can, rely on our processes. I certainly know at Middlemore, we're really good at looking after each other in the team, on the floor, the nurses together, the doctors together. So I think we can rely on that to keep each other grounded and help each other cope. I think uh, Melbourne and Sydney are a bit further ahead in their COVID experience compared to New Zealand. But we can rightly predict that we're going to get to that, that point relatively soon, I think. I mean, when you hear the, the calls and the demands for, to ease restrictions, does that make you anxious? To, to do that right now? I am worried about loosening restrictions. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I know that that's just going to skyrocket uh, infections in vulnerable communities, and South Auckland is a vulnerable community. 
and that will put pressure on the emergency department and that will that will put pressure on the rest of the hospital electives and so so on and so forth and it's just going to be a tough time for patients you know are you struggling at the moment in the I don't want to say we're struggling now because if we're struggling now, how are we going to manage when um, the tidal wave of patience hits us in a few weeks' time? We're definitely coping now, but steeling ourselves for what's to come. A big worry is that we're going to see a lot of deaths in people who shouldn't be dying. This is completely preventable to a large degree by vaccination. We need to open up at some stage and probably some stage soon in the next few months, but we need to race to get people vaccinated. Otherwise, people will die. Nā Rawane Pereira, te rari poata. Hei muringa whakatairanga, ka kōreroau, kia Willie Jackson. The government has established a new $120 million fund to boost vaccination rates for Māori. It comes alongside the announcement of a new traffic light system to manage COVID-19 when each of the country's DHBs reach a 90% vaccination rate for their eligible population. Hei matapaki i tēnei take, e kōreroau ki te minita whakawhanake Māori, kia Willie Jackson. So 90% is the target that the government has announced in order to lift restrictions, 90% of the general population. Did you support that in Cabinet? Yeah, absolutely. We, we know that we need a pragmatic um, way forward. And so we have to uh, all work together in terms of this uh, DHB strategy. We think that this is probably the best way going forward. Is it perfect? No, but it's a pragmatic way to, uh, to go and we think we'll be able to uh, really get Māori into this, particularly if we can get the resourcing and funding out there, which we've, which we've tried to do from the start, but you know, with obviously there's been some Māori groups who've missed out, so I think with this injection of 120 million we'll, we'll be able to get everyone. So 90% of the general population and not 90% of Māori and the general population. So because you've always struck me as a person who's argued for e equality, but this sounds like it's an inequitable uh, treatment for Māori. I think it's a pragmatic uh, uh, strategy for Māori uh, because Māori um, uh, are an important part of this. If we were just to say 90, you know, we have to hit 90% for Māori, uh, we might have been waiting till October next year uh, in terms of that type of strategy. So we had to get everyone to buy into this. You know, we're representing everyone and we're representing Māori too who um, who want to get out of uh, this particular predicament. Do they though? Do they want to lift restrictions? Because my understanding is, is that iwi leaders told you they didn't accept the traffic light system and they preferred 95% or equitable rates. Well, that's the iwi leaders. The iwi leaders are not the only leaders in this country. Here's the reality, Mahi. In the last uh, five weeks, the Māori vaccination rates are up 39%. Up 39%. Compare that with the Pākehā rates, 
they are 19%. So Why might that be? Might that be because Māori were denied the opportunity to start the vaccination at the same time as the general population because half, the, half of our population is under 25 and only could start vaccinating last month? That's right, from September the 1st, and, you, and you're right there. And if you're asking me, have, did we make some mistakes at the start of it, uh, this is a moving feast. You know, people say, have you, have you got this, uh, in, you know, are you in control of this? There's not a government in the world that's got uh, uh, Delta under control. So if you're saying where well, there's some mistakes made at the start, yes, probably. We, I think we've been upfront about that. And now the government, with only just five or six weeks since, since half the Māori population has been able to be vaccinated, now the government is pulling the ladder up. They're saying, here's a new target, get vaccinated. No, what we're saying is there's a huge opportunity now with the, the resourcing and funding that we're putting forward, forward for our Māori providers out there, for the Ngāti Hines, for uh, for what's happening down in Ngāti Plo for, for whānau order, here's extra resourcing and funding to actually meet your every need. Because this, this has been a tough course. However, as I said, a 39% increase in the last five weeks shows that we're on, on target. We're not at, we're not at um, equitable levels, so we're still about 20% behind in almost every cohort, apart from our kaumatua. And experts, one of those ours at least, Rauri Jansen, says that trend will continue and our ED doctors are saying they are they are preparing themselves to be overwhelmed by Māori, Pacifica and Tamariki. How does that sit with you? But we've had the dire projections right from the start. You know that and I know that. We've had six Māori die. Six Māori. Six too many. Six too many. But not the hundreds and the thousands that were predicted early on. You know, Māori and Auckland want to get on with their life too. And, and we want to support and resource them. And we're, not, we're never going to stop doing that. And the DHB... 90% uh, is the right uh, solution going forward. Will some Māori be left behind? Uh, we hope not, but we have, to, we have to come up with a position where we have to um, manage for everyone. So we are not just the ministers uh, for Māori, we are ministers for the, the wider population too. And so we have to balance our cultural obligations, which are huge, with our general obligations also. When I've spoken to Māori in the last week since the, um, the announcement, they, you know, what they say is, we were asked to become part of the team of five million, and then after that, that announcement, it feels like we're not part of the team of five million anymore because Pākehā are like, catch you up, see you at the end, and if you don't catch up, laters. I know the Māori you talk with, right? And they're the ones who declare that we're, uh, you know, Māori are on the way out and there's a huge catastrophe and crisis about to, to happen. Um, I, I hope that they're not right, uh, but I know Māori on the street who are backing us in terms of what we're doing. They know that we have to be pragmatic. We couldn't actually set a target early on because we didn't want a lot of our people to be vilified. Won't they be vilified now? You've got a competition happening where you've got DHB versus DHB to reach 90%. Oh, too bad if you've got a whole bunch of Māori there that are unvaccinated. How's, how's that going to play out? Well, uh, I think that this is the, probably the best um, resolution because it's not just um, Māori who'll be vilified too, you know. There's a, there's a, a lot of Pākehā working class 
you know, part of that anti-vax crew who also will be vilified. People talk about second-class citizens. I think they're, they're talking about people in the unvaccinated area, and that goes right, right across the spectrum. You know, iwi and health providers have exceeded the expectation of their mahi, but not every little town in Aotearoa or Māori community has a waipareira. And if you take Murupara for an example, you know, a town who's now the iwi leader is is rejecting Pfizer, they're waiting for some vaccine that's never even arrived yet. Isn't this what happens when you don't have strategies for Māori, for all of Māori? I am just totally committed to, uh, uh, I think this is an opportunity plus over the next six weeks. And um, we have always gone down a buy Māori, for Māori uh, uh, solution and strategy. We might not have done it perfectly. It hasn't been, uh, uh, you know, maybe the you know, it hasn't been the consummate and best uh, strategy, but it's better than any other strategy that uh, National would have rolled out, who would have opened up the borders and not worried about Māori two or three months ago. So $120 million is a new injection to help protect Māori from COVID and also raise the vaccination levels. What are the ideas? What have you got? I've uh, just given the green light to a catch a fire um, uh, video and, and set up that'll be out in the next week or two. Uh, we've got, we need to get resourcing to our providers uh, who have been struggling because of our process. You know, there's been a hold up in terms of the bureaucracy and that's been unacceptable and we accept that accepted that criticism. Uh, there's lots of ideas and strategies that have been forwarded, but you can see in the last four or five weeks how much progress we've made with a 39% increase compared to 19% to, to Pākehā. What can we we do in the next four or five weeks. The Prime Minister really changed her tone last week uh, when she was asked about what happens if people don't get vaccinated and she was unapologetic, get vaccinated or you're going to miss out. What's your message to Māori who are resistant? Uh, it's the same message as hers and, uh, and um, I know that we can't force anyone to do it but you know you, you risk being uh, um, alienated. You risk not being able to do the, the basic things in life. You risk, you risk not being able to take your, uh, your tamariki to McDonald's, you know, to, to, to restaurants. But for a kai, uh, um, that, that's what we're talking about here. And that's not a New Zealand I really want to uh, live in, but that's really going to be a reality going forward, Mahi. So is that a, an attack on Tenoranga Teratanga? Um, no, I don't think it's an attack on Tinoranga Tiratanga at all. I think uh, uh, Tinoranga Tiratanga is all about supporting your whānau and your whakapapa. And if we want to go down the right track, then we, we do what a lot of our tipuna did, like Maui Pōmare and Ngata and them, who all pushed very strongly for vaccinations. And that was all about uplifting Tinoranga Tiratanga. Willie Jackson Tera. Hey Muri Inga Fakatairanga, Katsutakiatu, Kitifekana Maori, Ote Pakipumaka Ho, a milk. Auraki Mai Anno. Aotearoa is often called the land of milk and honey, and for some, our dairy farming industry is a symbol of our national identity. But in a new documentary, Milt, Te Tai Tokirau activist Chris Huriwai reveals the harm our dairy industry is causing to our whenua 
animals and health. He shares how becoming vegan reconnected him back to the Taiao and Te Ao Māori and how urgent change is needed for future generations. Anai te pūrongo a John Boynton. Te tai tokero activist Chris Huriwai isn't afraid to go against the tide to create change. I've always been very outspoken in my life in general. I've never really been a fan of higher-up authority figures. From a young age, he learned how to use his voice as he began his path to becoming vegan and an animal rights activist. I turned vegetarian when I was about 13 years old. We actually had two uh, cows that we wanted to turn into house cows for milking, but we discovered that we actually didn't have enough land. And so when my parents told me, oh, we're going to get rid of the cows, that's when I was like, whoa. In fact, that's when I did my first piece of activism, I suppose. I said to my parents, I'm going to be a vegetarian. And if, I, if I'm a vegetarian, you can't make me eat that. Chris is part of a growing number of young Māori who are vegan. And he's an outspoken critic of our biggest industry, dairy farming, which is entrenched in our social and economic fabric. So I started searching for other people who shared this whakaaro and wanted to join me on a kaupapa that spoke out against industrial dairy farming. And luckily, Amy Taylor of Ahimsa Films approached me um, and she wanted to start making a documentary. I was already being quite vocal about the dairy industry and the harms that it was causing. Dairy was a normal part of life growing up in New Zealand. Chris Huriwai stars in and is co-producer of the new documentary, Milked. Directed by Amy Taylor, it takes an uncompromising examination of the impacts of our dairy industry. This industry is not working for anyone. We've gone down industrial agriculture big time and we've got industrial-sized emissions. And so the idea of speaking out against the biggest company in Aotearoa, Fonterra, it was a little bit daunting, I suppose, but as everything, you know, for me, it comes back to the reasons why. We need to move away from this mindset that if there's a profit in something, that it's right to do it, or that it's okay to do it, or that we should do something just because there's money in it. And in reality, and we go into this in depth in the documentary, in reality, the true costs of dairy farming in Aotearoa are not being paid. Industrial dairying is this country's biggest polluter. They are the most inefficient food production system on the planet. There must be an alternative. Milked draws on a number of experts, including renowned conservationist Jane Goodall, and reveals the damage dairy farming is causing to our environment, animals, and health. For you, this was quite a personal journey. You know, you are kind of the thread throughout the documentary. What was some of the most challenging parts of being a part of this? A lot of knowledge keepers have come together for this kaupapa and in a way have entrusted me to present this information. And so there's been pressure in terms of getting things right. So I feel the weight on my shoulders. In terms of it being a personal journey for me, yeah, very much so with my awa that I grew up next to, Mangatawa. I've always thought to myself how lucky I am to have Mangatawa, and I've always thought about the impact that it's had on me and my personal growth and my character building and the way that it has built my appreciation for the taio and how many other people, many other kids, many other rural Māori don't have that because of industrial dairy farming and 
the pressure to get that right, the pressure to have a positive impact, to enable others to have the type of upbringing that I had, that enriching spiritual experience that I've had connecting with my awa. For Chris, reconnecting to his Napuhi, Nazi Pirao, and Teatsiawa Fakapapa hasn't been an easy journey. I started reconnecting to my Taha Māori after I got into activism, I would say. I got into activism primarily because of animal rights. Uh, and along the journey of my animal rights journey, I started to make peace with who I am as a person. And I started looking inward on myself and thinking about myself as a, a Māori and coming to a place of peace. It's a journey and something that I reflect on often, but through my activism, I was able to connect more to myself and I have more than ever a drive to reconnect to my taha Māori and I'm forever grateful and thankful for this activism journey that I've been on for uh, empowering me to do that. Now Chris is living back in Northland, he's determined to stop Māori communities having their waterways polluted. When you have a marae, when you have a, a small community that doesn't have a local waterway, you lose that free recreational activity for tamariki. And without that source for your community, for your hapū, for your marae, for your tamariki, for me, everything else falls apart. What do you hope someone who goes into this documentary and watches it, what do you hope that they take out of it? Like most things, I just hope that it encourages people to question things because we're told that this is the backbone of the economy, that dairy farming is our identity. And so I just hope that people take from this film uh, the idea that it is healthy to question these normalised types of narratives that we're getting all day long from all sides. When it comes to making those changes in dairy farming, is that progress happening? Fast enough? Like the rest of the world, Aotearoa currently is being ruled by the dollar, so uh, nothing will ever be fast enough in terms of climate solutions, in terms of um, water degradation solutions. Protecting our fresh water should be paramount. Our fresh water for a long time has been at the bottom of the ladder in terms of priorities. Uh, farming lobbyists have again and again been able to push away freshwater legislation that would have been prioritising our water. Do you feel hopeful that New Zealand will transition away from dairy farming in the future? Depends what day you catch me on. I mean, Aotearoa, we're known for innovation, creativity. And so if we can make that shift away from prioritising animal agriculture and GDP. If we can do that, a country that is financially, economically so reliant on it, then it would be the perfect example for other countries. If we can overcome it, there'll be no more excuses for anyone else. I do have faith, I do have faith, and yeah, it has to happen, it has to be done. Nā John Boynton, Tera Pūrongo and Milt will screen as part of Fano Marama New Zealand International Film Festival 2021. Ko hikana te hui e
The Hui is made with support from New Zealand On Air.